Nankirtan ki jai. Any questions? I've been in Prabhupada's commentary on the, uh, in the third chapter of Chaitanya Charitamrita. He was saying that if you, uh, if you surrender to Advaita Acharya, you can understand the Chintya Veda Veda. And I, if I understood it rightly, it's because he is one with Krishna still worshipping Krishna. Well, I think that Prabhupada is just making the point there that um, is raised by Krishna Skaviyarsh Goswami. Obviously, um, Advaita is not a typically Vaishnav name, as much as it's what one might think, because it's so characteristically uh, identified with Advaita Vedanta. And the Mayabad school, Dwaitans, uh, they're often, they often call themselves. And as we know, that's very, um, um, very much, um, very different than the Gaudiya philosophy, which is one that gives rise to the possibility of love of God, movement and transcendence, and so on and so forth. Uh, rather than just closing down the illusion as it's thought of in Dvaita Vedanta, material existence. Um, reminds me of Sarvabhoma's dislike for the word moksha when he came across it in the Bhagavatam, mm. or mukti, mukti. Um, even though Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, you can't change the word in the Bhagavatam, he wanted to change it to bhakti, jiveta yo mukti pade sadaya bhakti. He wanted to change the verse, jiveta so yo Bhakti Padesadaya Bhag. It's a famous verse from the tenth canto of the Bhagavatam where um, it said that by persevering and seeing the things that uh, come into our lives to be what we do and um, not plugging into them and remaining attached to and surrendered to Krishna, then one becomes the heir to. Mukti Pade. Hmm. So it means Mahabharata liberation at the feet of 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 God, not the Sayuja Mukti. Hmm. Um, which is described in the Chaitanya Charitamrita to be outside of Vaikuntha, the outer orb. Hmm. There's no rasa there. It's not that so Ujjamukti is Shantarasa. There's a huge difference between the two. Mm. And even Shantarasa is not on our uh, radar. Mm. I'd speak of that even by Kunta is not on our radar. But um, at any rate, his dislike for the word Mukti was because of its common, most common way in which it was understood at the time, and that being that it referred to the Sayuja Mukti. Or, or something uh, lesser, indeed. Uh, the, as much as the Mayabads think that the world is imaginary, and there is no real objective world, and we think that their ideal of uh, in which the the not only is there no objective world, there's no individual Atman, there's only Brahman, is an illusion. 
They think the world and the jiva is an illusion. We think that their ideal is an illusion. Hmm. There is something called saujimukti. That's different. Hmm. Similar, not the same. Jiva never loses its its individual individuality. So um, this we um, understand from the sacred texts. Obviously, they also quote the sacred text, but anyway, they're different philosophies. So, the that being the case, at the time, the Muayta uh, Vedanta was prominent, and so, according to Chaitanya Charitamrita, for that matter, Sarabhuma was an Advaitin previous to meeting Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so he, after being converted by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we didn't like the word mukti. So I just bring it up because the word Advaita can have, you get a similar reaction from it. It's not, in one sense, typically a Vaishnava name, but, but such a great Vaishnava, and uh, Bhagavan himself in the form of a Vaishnava, um, we have in the person of Advaita Acharya. So it's Krishna Das Swami. Uh, explains that he's a Dwaita because he's non-different from God. Mm. Because he's because he's Vishnu. Mm. And um, that is different than the idea that the jivas are non-different from God. Mm. So, um, in emphasizing that point and the meaning of his name also to make clear to readers of the future that Advaita Charya was not an Advaitan. That's not why he was named Advaita, but because he's non different from the Godhead. Being being the Mahavishnu. Uh, Mahavishnu Jagatkarta his two has two verses in his Mongol Acharya and glorifying Advaita Charya and describing his name and fact that he's an incarnation of Mahavishnu and so on and so forth. So there's a difference between the jiva and Brahman. And the jiva is not one in all respects with the Godhead, but the different forms of the Godhead, Vishnu, avatars and so forth, are. They're not different from from the Godhead and Tattva. So um, perhaps... um, what Prabhupada means there is that understanding Advaita properly, hmm, how he is, the, the Advaita charge is one. Um, uh, he's one, you can say, in tattva, but he's different in terms of rasa, as much as Mahavishnu is from Krishna or Narayan. Hmm. So now, as we speak about that, we're, we get into the, the oneness and the difference and so forth, rather than just oneness. So rather unnuanced, uh, unnuanced, under-nuanced idea, Advaita, Vedanta, compared to Gaudi Vaishnavism, and Gaudi Vaishnavism, for that matter, um, should not allow, and Mahaprabhu didn't allow, the word mukti to be the property of the Advaitins hmm, um, by explaining the verse to Sarvabhauma in a devotional way 
And um, similarly, the word Advaita should not be uh, thought to be the property of the Dvaitans because the Bhagavatam itself, it says that in a similar way to the word Advaita, it says that the absolute truth is known uh, to be by learned persons. Advai gyan tattva, advai gyan, advai means non-dual, same as Advaita, advai gyan tattva. So we say that the reality is one, non-dual. That means Advaita, so we're Advaitans in that sense. Hmm. But the Bhagavatam goes on to say in the same verse, Prameti paramatmeti bhagavani tishabhita, it appears differently. Hmm. Different faces of the Absolute, so to speak, Brahman, Paramatman, Bhagavan, and it appears, of course, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas nicely explained differently based on different approaches to the Absolute. The closest thing to what the Advaitans are talking about is this, it's the Brahman feature um, and how it's experienced by the by the jnanis who mix their gyan with some bhakti. Um, so there's, a, again, that's there are different ideals that they maintain like that, but the common one is this Sayuja Mukti. But if we do, it is important to distinguish that Sayuja Mukti, as we teach about it, this kind of merging with Brahman, is different than what the Advaitins talk about. That's why, for example, Jiva Goswami wrote in Satsandarbha, he has a Bhagavat Sandarbha, he has a Paramat Sandarbha, he has the Krishna Sandarbha. So the Paramat Sandarbha is about the Paramatma feature. The Bhagavat Sandarbha is about the Bhagwan feature. Krishna is obviously about Krishna in particular. Then he has the Bhakti Sandarbha and the Preeti Sandarbha. Preeti means love or, the, or prem. So Preeti Sandarbha is the Prayojan, his um, treatise on, 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 on a goal, prem, Preeti. The Bhakti Sandarbha is obviously the treatise on the Abhideya, Tattva, the way, the means, Bhakti itself. And the Krishna Sandarbha, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, and the Brahma Sand, and the excuse me, the Paramatma Sandarbha—they are all under the category of Sambanda. Hmm? But you may notice there's no Brahman Sandarbha. Hmm? There's there's Bhagwan means the the Bhagavat Sandarbha. There's the Paramatma Sandarbha. There's no Brahman Sandarbha. And Jiva Goswami addresses it in the beginning of the Bhagavat Sandarbha more or less by saying, "What's there to talk about?" about Brahman, what can you say about it? It's non-differentiated, so there's nothing to be said, really. Uh, but he does say this, that that feature of the Absolute and realizing it, as some do in Sahaja Mukti, is different from what the Advaitins are talking about. Which is, again, they don't accept the, the, the Maya Shakti to be real. They don't accept the jiva shakti to be real. Both are an illusion. They don't actually exist. That's their, their idea. And, um, and Bhagavan also, for that matter, or Paramatma, there's only Brahman. Uh, so it's a different idea. It's important to note that. And it's an idea that won't be attained in as much as the approach is is not um, respectful to or does not incorporate some bhakti. So, we are also Advaitins. It's not 
Yes. We're, the Bhagavatam itself says that, and I think it concludes in the 12th, 12th canto with the statement that Kaivalyam. This is a book, the goal of which teaches is Kaivalyam. Kaivalyam is another Mayavad word. But they, well, they, they like to use it to purchase it, to say it's theirs. Kaivalyam means uh, kind of like a, like a oneness, something like that. But Jiva Goswami in his uh, Sandarvas explains, shows how the word it can also mean love. In much as love requires a oneness. Of course, if we know it's a dynamic oneness, so on and so forth. You may say, well, that's kind of, you know, stretching. But you see, the beauty beauty in Jiva Goswami's commentary, or any of our Acharya's commentaries, especially the foundational commentaries, um, all of their commentaries that draw upon, of course, like Prabhupada's and so forth, is that is that um, what might seem to be, hmm, that's a stretch. It's, it's, it is out of context, but what they are showing is the whole context, just like the statement, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swam, it's only one line. Jiva Goswami says, people say it's only one line, how can you say the whole Bhagavatam is you know, centered around that? And he says basically, but the big things come in small packages sometimes. The sutras of Vyasa are very small, but everyone is, each one is very important, and carries a wealth of of meaning and so forth. This is the Paribhas Sutra. And of course he goes on, and this is the Krishna Sandarbha, and shows every statement in the Bhagavad that seems to say otherwise that Krishna might be the incarnation of Krishna and shows how to understand it in context and so forth. Very masterful um, commentary on the Bhagavatam. So if you understand the teaching properly, what's repeated throughout and so forth, then these statements that seem to say otherwise then you can explain them in relation to the main theme. Hmm? Uh, but if you don't know the main theme, and of course he, he gives a beautiful explanation in one sense of the main theme when he describes the, the trance of Vyas in which what Vyasa's experience was in Samadhi that gave rise to the Bhagavatam. So there you go. There you, there you find the Chinchibeta Beta. So now you have to what saying sounds like an Advaita Vedanta statement, if you find one, you have to understand it in the light of what Vyasa experienced, which obviously he didn't, he experienced the jiva, it's very clearly stated there. Hmm. Um, there are several verses there in the seventh, seventh chapter of the first canto. What does he say? Hmm? This is Bhagavan, Maya Shakti is yeah, he experienced the Maya Shakti at a distance, the Jiva Shakti, Samhita Jiva. And Bhakti as the remedial measure, the means to deliver the Jiva. He said he realized the Jiva, Maya Shakti, Bhagavan, and his Rup Shakti. Hmm. All these things are mentioned there in his, in his experience in samadhi, hmm? not illusion. So you have all of them. These are the di- different three really principal shaktis: the Maya Shakti, the Jeev Shakti, the the, the Sarup Shakti, and then there's Bhagavan. So this is very different from Advaita Vedanta, and this is the core. Again, this is a, 
what he was told to meditate by Narada. He went into meditation. He just, just described there by Sutta Goswami what he experienced. So you have to understand other verses in relation to that. Hmm. You can say, well, the verse is saying this right here. And you just pull it out of context. But that's not how you arrive at Siddhanta. There's a process, a method for arriving at the Siddhanta. You have to show the context and and uh, so many things. Um, there's a system to understanding what the book's about, what's in the beginning, what's in the end should correspond, what's repeated throughout, hmm. so on and so forth. There's a number of different ways and how to weigh different types of evidence. Hmm. Some is more weighty than others. Hmm. The shruti, the linga, the vakya. Hmm. And one's less weighty than the other. Hmm. And so forth. It's, it's, there is a system for arriving about at a conclusion as to what the book is book is saying. Hmm. Now you can do all that, and then in a very sophisticated way, there can be arguments, and different sampradayas may do even that and have different perspectives. That's one thing, but it's not what people do today. Just type some verse and you know, on the computer under a pseudonym and. And call it Siddhanta because it says this in the Bhagavatam. You know, it could be Hiranyakashipu talking you know, in the seventh canto. He has his, his speech there. So, um, no, not like that. So I think Prabhupada's just making the point there. Advaita Charya is, is not an Advaitan. An understanding Advaita Charya, the Advaita of Advaita Charya means to understand that there is God and he has different expansions. There's the Swamsa and the Vibhinamsa. So there are, there are expansions of himself. The Vishnu taught for different avatars and so forth, Prakash. And, and then there are the, the Vibhinamsa, the, the, the Jivas. Hmm? Two different types of... Hmm. And the Jivas not one in all respects with the Godhead. Hmm? Like the Vishnu Tattva are. Even the Vishnu Tattva, not in all respects. Different in terms of rasa. The possibilities of rasa. But the same in Tattva. It's God in different forms. And so the forms represent different emotional realities hmm? that correspond with different types of love, different types of devotees, or their emotional realities all under the influence of the Sarup Shakti. So, what else? Yes. Um, did you say that how we walk is how we sit? Um, I was wondering in consideration of confidence in action, confidence um, in service, how would I translate well, I mean, one well, can say that how you walk will determine how you sit, how you sit will determine how you walk. So the idea of making a statement like that, and Krishna makes a statement like that at the beginning of the sixth chapter of the Gita where he talks about meditation. But the, the point in emphasizing that in one sense is to say that, that, that your life 
should be a life of devotion, a sadhaka's life. Hmm? It's not that my, my bhakti is just when I sit down and and and, and chant, hmm? um, but throughout the day and so forth. So um, you want to, to 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 connect the two. It's easy to do that here because we're doing everything we're doing for the for the ashram. Everything belongs to. Gornatai are their cows, their buildings, uh, their 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 gardens, uh, their devotees, and so forth. So that's all part of their their badam, their expansions, their paraphernalia, um, and so on. So um, we take care of it all, and just like we would the deity. And indeed, some things, those that are things that are dear to Krishna, um, it's better to endear ourselves to those than it is to Krishna even. Right? To Diyaseva. So, Tulsi is dear to Krishna. So, we think, what's my hope for being dear to Krishna? But, but those that are dear to Krishna tend to extend themselves to us more. So, we can endear ourselves to them and thereby we can endear ourselves to Krishna. So, everything here, the extension of that, that's how it should be seen. Um, so it's easy in that way to remember Krishna in different ways. Make it without thinking about it. There you go. But um, otherwise, you know, we 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 do saying we just sang just now that eat full lilas of lila daily lila of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we remember the verses different times of the day. And I think this Mahaprabhu is like this, doing like this, this, this time, and you can, in time, you can meditate on that while doing something. But a lot of our service is active, and 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 meditation is really something for sitting. And active means for for cleansing the heart, uh, and most people can't sit for very long. Meditate so merciful that the charges establish institutions and give us meaningful things to do that we would be doing anyway. We would cook anyway. <laughs> we have to eat. Hmm? It's like when I'm in the he came. I said, "What do you do?" He said, "Well, I just cook and clean." <laughs> we do that too. <laughs> so you can do that here, Krishna. No problem. Hmm. Um, so this gives us meaningful activities that we would do anyway. And, of course, you, 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 there is a tendency in, in beginners sometimes to not to connect the two and think the chanting is one thing and gardening is another thing. And, and um, there's some truth to that, but if you can chant very deeply and so forth, that's, another, that's one thing. Hmm? But um, that's possible when the heart is cleansed. Chanting will cleanse the heart, but practical activities, developing a service, attitude, so forth, will um, as well. Even into a hard day's labor is, you know, for an ordinary person, is purifying. Make them feel good about themselves. I worked for my family. I did it. Something like that. An honest day's labor. So, in a much deeper sense, is the case in bhakti here when we are active in the ashram, 
doing so many things, delivering the milk to the people, special milk. I think uh, I'm a milkman for Krishna. Sharing his his milk with the with the local people and so forth. Very all very nice activities. Repairing now you're doing some repairing, right? Mm-hmm. So you know you think of it how why you're doing it, make the connection, so forth. Is that what you're asking about? I think you've asked that before. You might look back some of the tapes. Hmm. What else? Yes. Um, I was reading in the Chaitanya Chaitanya that kind of about the three main deities in Vrindavan. Gopinath. And um, so I can understand that all three of the forms are present in Gornitai when you worship them. Um, that's my understanding anyway. But I was wondering if there were points maybe in the Lila or um, maybe aspects of Gornitai that we could meditate on that would be appropriate to the different forms. At the different stages. Well, Gornitai are different than Radha and Krishna. Hmm? So, um, but they give Radha and Krishna to the world. Hmm? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was said to be Radha and Krishna combined. Nityananda Prabhu, as we explained last night, is, is celebrating that and broadcasting that message widely. So, um, we think a bit like that, and then with regard to the fact that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is Radha and Krishna, um, in relation to the principal deities of Vrindavan, that whole idea that is so central to the Sampradaya is taught about in terms of those divisions of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojana. Hmm. The basic idea, the means, and what is the nature of uh, the, the, the attainment, and so forth. Um, you know, there's a, just in relation to the idea that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Radha and Krishna, the possibility of attainment, and the, 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 the idea of Radha and Krishna is is that Krishna is one, but to experience himself more fully he becomes two. But by becoming two, there's a problem because love requires being one. <laughs> and so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the solution. The problem starts that Krishna is one in a certain capacity, in a certain respect. Hmm. And in order he becomes two to remedy that. So now he has an object of love. Radha. So the transformation of his love is Radha. Radha Krishna Pranai. Bhikkhudi Ladini Shakti Rasmada. But that's in seeking to create a solution. Sometimes it says sugar is sweet, but it can't taste itself. So he has to create a tasting aspect for Brahman to be rasa, there has to be 
the, the taster and the taste, because rasa means taste. So for there to be a taste, there has to be a taster. So the, so there's a dynamic duo, if you will, <laughs> Radha and Krishna. But then this is seeking to remedy the problem, but it creates, it does partially, but then it creates another problem. That, and that's why Radha says, anyone who says, I love you, doesn't know anything about love, because then there's I and there's you. So, so it becomes a problem. So in Chaitanya Charitamrita, we find, in the Ramananda Samvad, in the conclusion, we find, hmm, he saw, Mahabharu showed himself to be Radha and Krishna, he, he saw this, he sang a poem, Ramananda Roy, hmm, like when you grind the, the, the mortar, hmm, stone, you know, you have the mortar and the pestle, pestle and the mortar, is that what they're called? And then they become one. Hmm. Something like that. So they became one. And, and that, but that union is different than the, the singularity of Krishna that becomes a dyad of two that now becomes a dynamic one. Hmm. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, so this, this is what Ramananda Roy saw. That union of Radha and Krishna is the, is the is the highest kind of intimacy union in Mahabhav of Radha and Krishna that is is the perfection, so to speak, of their love. It's a, it's called pranai. It's different than the than than the ordinary understanding of pranai that we find in Sakiras and in Madhuriras. It's it's basically the Mah Madanakya Mahabhav, Radha Krishna Pranai, as it's used, for example, in that verse of Surabhamada that Krishna Skavigash Goswami employs in his Mongol Charn. Um, so, that that union, now, what's the prayogen in relation to that? Hmm. For the sadhakas. Hmm. The highest prayogen of that is that they can attain a position. This is what Chaitanya Charitamrita teaches. They contain a position as a handmaiden of Radha that allows them to be the witness of that type of union that typically is not witnessed. Now that was shown to Ramananda Roy, who was thought to be Vishaka um, Gopi. But Vishaka Gopi, of course, is, is not a Manjari, but she is qualified to be a group leader, but she subordinates herself to Radha and leads Manjaris like like Tulsi Manjari, Rati Manjari, Raghunathas Vasami, so forth. So anyway, the idea is, the priority in relation to that is that there's a possibility to participate in that. Hmm? And uh, the union of Radha and Krishna. Um, so largely then we look at, in that sense, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in terms of Gopinath. Gopinath represents the, the Prayogen. Hmm. And then if you look at Mahaprabhu in terms of Abhideya, Radha Govinda, that's another thing. Then he's teaching. Hmm. Teaching by his example. Hmm. And uh, we learned all. Uh, we enter the school of 
of bhakti, what is bhakti? Um, he is a bhakti. He shows the uh, devotion, or he teaches the devotion about devotion to Rupa Goswami. Hmm. Um, Das, again, in relation to the Prayojan, I mentioned Rupa Goswami in relation to to the uh, uh, Abhideya, the means. So, Sambandha then, Madan Mohan, and Mahaprabhu taught Sanatana, Sambandha Gyana. So, Mahaprabhu said these are the divisions that all of the Vedic wisdom is is, uh, divided into these three. So, in that way, you can kind of make some connection with different. Verses, for example, that um, speak to us in terms of Abhideya Tattva, Prayujan Tattva, Sabanda Tattva, and so on and so forth. And the Acharyas that represent them, and how Mahaprabhu taught them, what they wrote, how they, what they explained about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. See Raghunath Das's verses about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Rupa Goswami's Sanatans. Teaches to Rupa Sanatan and Chaitanya Charitamrita. Hmm. That help? Something like that. Hmm. Hmm. What else? Yes. Um, I don't really have a way to articulate my question. Um, uh, I guess I'm understood that confidence is like a really important aspect to have as a devotee. Um, I was wondering how confidence expresses itself in Japan. Um, well, we should be confident. Uh, I think we're confident as to the efficacy of the chanting because we've heard so many verses and so many teachings about the Logos, the Divine Logos, and we see that it's something that's um, even honored by other religious traditions, sound. The Bible is teaching that the world comes from sound. I was reading a famous biologist the other day, and he was was a Christian, also a Catholic fellow. He was making a whole argument, the world comes from sound, according to the Bhagavad Gita, or excuse me, according according to the Bible, and what is the Logos, and so so forth. Uh, so it's interesting. To, we, we teach the same thing. So it's universal. We, we're just honing that idea that has the capacity to unify all religions who feel there is a, a divine logos. Um, so all the teachings, all the verses, um, we have the examples of others Haridas Thakur and so forth, others, so many acharyas, the um, who have experienced the efficacy from the chain, we have little experience ourselves and so forth. So all these things together they should um, bring, bring confidence to us in our uh, practice. Over and above everything else is what little experience we get when, when the mind settles and you can hear that and the chanting is very um, easy and blissful and so forth. 
And then, in the absence of that, because of our conditioning and our inability to absorb ourselves, then we, with our intellect, we reflect, as I'm saying already, on the teachings, the saints, their examples, um, and philosophize about it. And um, this way we um, develop confidence in the, in the practice itself. There are, it's not so much confidence in our own ability, but confidence in the fact that the theology that Krishna is present in his name. And obviously he's coming to me in this way in ways that he's not coming to me in his form. So this is very generous of him and, and so on and so forth. So we have confidence by taking advantage of that. Then uh, everything that's said about the name will come to experience ourselves. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Our confidence in general is, is in, is in the, what we've heard about the nature of Krishna. He's very merciful. Surely I'll be successful. I'm trying and he's... He's helping even people at Mahapur, even people who aren't trying. So certainly, certainly they hear you, hear me. Hmm. So I should have no doubt about that. Don't get neurotic about that. I wonder if he's hearing me. I wonder if he's maybe he's. I'm having some difficulty. Maybe Krishna's upset with me. It's probably quite unlikely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good reason to be confident. And also we should be confident as to um, what a life that is not focused on self-restraint and the measure of self-restraint that um, can be derived from serious spiritual practice, that serious spiritual practices is in many respects uh, centered on in the beginning stages. Uh, it's just common sense that uh, the difference between ourselves and, for example, the animal species is that we have a greater capacity to control our senses and our minds. If we don't do that, then obviously they say he was just an animal, that guy. Um, so, that being the case, then there's good reason to believe we should be confident that the more one can control the senses and the mind, the happier they're going to be, the nicer they're going to be. They're the draw of the senses, sense objects on the senses, is, uh, is uh, what constitutes the struggle and being at odds with others and so forth. So while there's, as I say sometimes, while there's positive impetus, what we see in the lives of the acharyas, the, the statements about the chanting and so forth, there's negative impetuses as well. And that we have direct experience of, hmm, so much so that it, it drove us in this direction, hmm, almost more so than the positive impetus, because even without that positive impetus, we were driven in the search, right? In the, from the emptiness of such and the brutal 
the brute nature of it and and uh, the fact that uh, it's, it's not a place for a gentle person and so on and so forth and then that combined with them good association we've got so much positive impetus in it it's something a way to deal with it also but we should be anyway my point is from the negative impetus we have sufficient experience that that's such a pursuit is is, is less than satisfying ultimately mm-hmm. and um, so we may dabble in it to some extent but the it has you no know, real enduring power. And that's the the devotee has been the marked man. They used to say <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult to enjoy the world. Try to try. You have experience. You have philosophy, and so forth. And you really have to become quite hypocritical to. Uh, uh, to do that and to go against common sense and then something you have a wealth of experience of and it's, a, it's vacuous it's a dead end you know people obviously religious teachings are different different paths and so on and so forth and we make the point readily that the, the philosophy will never fully represent the ideal which transcends language and thought and so on and so forth so Every religious system has a way of explaining um, that ideal, which from our point of view is variegated. So there may be different ways to talk about it, even when there is considerable common ground as well. And we look at the common ground. If the common ground is not attained, then we consider the religious approach or ideal to be uh, imaginary, superstitious, maybe even counterproductive. Common ground is ego effacement, uh, for example, uh, and the the kind of ideas that all mystics embrace, the heart of the religious traditions. Um, So, um, that common ground, and then we say the very nature of transcendence, even in our own tradition, we say that it's variegated. There's Vaikuntha possibilities, there's Ayodhya possibilities, there's Goloka, different possibilities in Goloka. So within the context of our own specific tradition, we recognize that. So it's not a stretch for us to say there are other possibilities from different approaches as well. Mm-hmm. But we insist on the common ground in order to give it any, any credence and call it really uh, a transcendental approach. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, all that we can say about that is limited, and so sometimes it may appear, because it tra- that transcendence tra- transcends speech, and so sometimes it may appear like, we well, are really kind of like trying to tweak it because it doesn't quite fit here, it doesn't quite fit there, we've got this evidence from science over here and so you're kind of trying to tweak it you know why don't you just let it go you know and, and go with you know the simple truths instead of keeping trying to hang on to this one thing and always tweak it so it kind of work could just be a free thinker and and um, that's what I don't believe in any of the religious traditions that's what the but the, the, that's a very shallow perspective because you got to tweak it on the other end too suddenly, for example, you throw out the idea that there's transcendence. Hmm? 
because nobody can talk about it in a way or think about it in a way that's comprehensive and answers all doubts. That's impossible because, it, well, if you understand it properly, you wouldn't ask that question because it transcends thought, as I'm saying, it transcends language and so forth. But still you insist that, it, that your intellect be fully you know, satisfied by some explanation. And so you, it's not going to be. And so you throw it out. And then, but is your intellect fully satisfied by materialism, for example? There's no God. Hmm? Um, there's no supernatural. There's no meaning to life. And then all of a sudden you're trying to tweak it and find meaning, nonetheless. But we find meaning over here. And actually, you know, we don't have to have a transcendental idea to have purpose. Then it becomes a whole tweaking thing on the other end. You understand? Hmm? You can't get, get, get away from it. Hmm? It doesn't fit either. Hmm? It doesn't answer everything. You can't live in terms of the, the, the conclusions in a sense of materialism without, without not living fully the, the implications of it. Hmm? Because everyone finds meaning and purpose of their own relative, and and so on. And so you're, it's like, you know, why believe? You have to believe in something. Why believe in that? Hmm? Nothing has any meaning, according to materialism. Ultimately, physicalism, you know, these ideas. There is no ultimate meaning. We make up meaning, which just means you just must make up a religion. You know. You're making up meaning within materialism that doesn't really... It's just a mental construct, is what I'm saying. Hmm? Um, but then you want to criticize religious people for believing in something. Hmm? Having a belief, a faith, if you will, or living in a way that defies reason or transcends reason. The practical life of the atheist, for example, transcends reason. I don't think that reasonably they could, they could really carry out their lives hmm, without looking a little, you know, like you're, you're stretching it here, you know. Hmm. I mean, they do it, they stretch it, and they get reason about it, <laughs> about their faith, basically. Hmm. So there's, there's really no difference in one sense on either either side. Hmm. You've got to believe in something. Believe in materialism. You believe in it, but but you can't fully believe in it. You can't act as as if you can't. Let's you cannot act as if there's no difference um, in beating up, you know, a homeless person and um, giving a Christmas gift to your daughter. But according to materialism, there is no difference, really. They're, they're, just, they're, they're just random atoms, molecules, whatever, bouncing up against one another. And there's no self in there, really. There's no purpose. There's no... So all of that's all an illusion. I mean, keep talking about how can you live? What are you going shopping for for somebody? You know, you're believing in something. You have a faith that transcends or deviates, however you want to look at it, from the reasoning. Hmm? 
So you, you, you're going to do it on, on that side, and then it starts to look rather, if you're honest about it, 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 it looks as bad, if not worse, than the, how you're going to tweak religion when it, you know, well, you know, okay, we can look at it like this and adjust according to time and circumstance. But in one sense, the point is that life is bigger than reason. Therefore, Krishna says, a person is their faith. It's a powerful statement. Person is really their faith, and no one lives without faith. So, what's worth believing in? And at least you can argue reasonably in both both directions. It's only propaganda that that leads some not well thought out people to think that materialism is some kind of proven fact or something. So. Oh, we in, in our estimate is very very practical. We have experience. I think it's universal, as I said, that controlling the senses is good for you. It makes you happier. Hmm? If you just take intoxication and eat anything, it's, you're going to be sick, deranged, incarcerated you know, whatever. So, we're just honing that idea, right? And that's what separates us from animality. And we say, the human humanity is kind of the divide between animality and spirituality. It can go either way. Therefore, Krishna says in the Gita, Udra-ratmanatmana, matmanambhavasharayat, atmaivatmanobandur, atmaivaripuratmana. Bandhu Ripu. The mind, the Atman here, Atman means mind in this verse. The mind is the friend or the enemy of the Jiva. Depends how you use it. Do you use your mind and intellect just to pursue um, that which the animals are doing without much intellect? Hmm. Comparatively, then that will be your your downfall. So if you use it in ways that to 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 to, to master the senses, for example, which is what sadhana is about at its base, then then, then the mind becomes your friend. So we have a lot of experience. Uh, we should be competent, and these are kind of bottom line things. You should be competent. To, well, I, I I came to a reasonable conclusion, and I don't think there's new information that that which that that um, gives cause for for changing or altering that conclusion. That the pursuit of sense objects with my senses that creates a certain identity, and pursuing that identity is is a recipe for. Um, a very limited life. That um, that finds some happiness uh, in between the, the unhappiness that, that here, here and there, relief from it every now and then. Attachment is the womb from which the suffering is is born. Mm. Um, so that kind of basic Vedanta idea is very powerful. 
It's very powerful. It's dismissed by people because it's it's not easy to do. Give me a whole life or something like that. Yeah, that's our conclusion. It's very radical in one sense, but but again, the conclusion is 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 something everybody agrees. I've given an example before. Everybody agrees that you should control your your sexual urge. Every human. I mean, even the people in the pornographic industry, I'm sure they have their bottom lines and things that, uh, that on some level they would be, you know, considered sexually uptight. <laughs> because they won't go there, whatever that is, you know. Um, so, which is a question of where you draw the line, what your worldview is. And it's just one example, one of the main, you know, drives of the of, the, of our animal side, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we draw it in a way that is in consideration of the more that we are and uh, can experience and so forth. Um, but people are drawing the line somewhere else, and you want to draw the line. So that you don't, but practically then become psycho- psychologically, what repressed. But then you, know, you don't want to go the other way either, and and um, and in such a way that will call your um, your spiritual progress. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just one example. There are many. So we should be we should have confidence anyway on both sides. I decided what the nature of the world is, basically, and it doesn't hold a lot of charm. And I also decided that Krishna consciousness, Gaudi Vaishnavism, has a lot of charm. I'm experiencing at the same time that that making that decision doesn't doesn't is not something I can fully kind of actualize. I still find myself drawn. At times, to sense objects for um, purposes of my own senses, and sometimes I find that an inability to absorb myself in Krishna consciousness or have enthusiasm for the practices. So that's my condition. But I, but I, I know with my reasoning and based on my experience, I have experience of what absorption and in material life, life, I have some experience with, with the, uh, the blissful nature of Krishna consciousness. There's no comparison between the two. Mm-hmm. So I have little experience, and then I have a reason about the experience, and I stay where I am. Mm-hmm. I may adjust my pursuit as a householder, as a monastic, and so forth, but I stay on the course, and I have good guidance, and, and I have confidence. I make progress. Something else? Uh, it's a little off the talk. You brought up how Guru says that a person is their fear. Yeah. And I was thinking how I teach that shraddha something that comes from outside of us, um, from sadhus or from the demons. It's just, I don't know, it's just that how interesting it is that who we are is actually not. It comes from outside of us. It's kind of like who we are is like our potential, who we are into. Well, we've talked about that, haven't we? The jiva 
the Tathasta Shakti, that's the meaning of the Tathasta Shakti, wants it, that it has, that it's, it has a, it's something in potential hmm, that is realized in relation to its environment, hmm, material environment or spiritual environment. Yeah. So there's faith according to the influence of the gunas, that's the material environment, and there's faith according to the influence of the sarup shakti, and that is the nirguna, hmm. transcendental faith, divine faith. And then you are your faith, so... Or a tamasic, rajasic, sattvic person, or you are a transcendental person. All right, what's the time? Okay, we'll stop there. Sriman Mahaprabhu ke jai. Shri Nitai Chand ki jai. Gaur Bhaktivinoda ki jai. Gaur Premanandi. Haribo. Haribo.